Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Rilston and I am your host today. We are recording on the Friday afternoon after a memorable, memorable night at Old Trafford, which saw Manchester United defeat Barcelona 2-1 in the Europa League. And my good friend and colleague Samuel Lockhurst was there and what was a fantastic night, wasn't it, Samuel? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Still a little bit tired after... Uh, last night, it, it, as you say, it was, uh, it was it was it was a privilege to be at. Uh, there's there's a lot of work that goes on. Not that anyone's going to uh, be getting the violin out. I'm not expecting that. But it, just just a slight shame for those of us who went to the mix zone for an hour and and didn't get to actually speak to anyone. That that the, the night ended on a bit of a bum note. But for for Manchester United, it was one of the one of the best nights they've had in years. I think it's safe to say. Plenty of coffee this morning, Samuel. Was it? quite important there has, yeah there, there, there yeah. has been yeah there were a couple of um a, a couple of melitas had at carrington today <laughs> says uh as you you well know excellent uh we'll just get straight into it as i said it was a really really special night i think personally for me samuel the atmosphere was one of the best i've heard since reporting on the club um i don't know how you rank it in the years that you've been covering united um but obviously the first win against barcelona since 2008 they were yeah, trailing at half time one nil down but a superb second half performance, and it was just fantastic to see, wasn't it? it? It made it better that they were they were quite stumped. It felt like after Lewandowski scored that penalty, Barcelona's game management in the first half after they went one up was was very impressive. I thought for a half, Sergio Busquets uh, rolled back the years. He was he was brilliant. Frankie De Jong was brilliant. Uh, he had a couple of recoveries in in his own third, and the. The performance from United was flat after Lewandowski scored. There was that big Fernandez chance in in only the third minute, and you did wonder what what they would what they would do. How quickly would they try and change things? I thought he, Ten Hag should have switched Sancho and um, and Fernandez during the first half, but then he was more proactive than that in bringing Anthony on. And we've seen how vital his game management and how proactive. That has been uh, in in recent weeks with with changes. It happened with Sancho coming on during the Leicester game at half time, and all immediately there was there was an impact. Uh, Sancho and Fernandez played the roles that they're best in. They combined for the goal from from Fred. I think that was only two less than less than three minutes into the second half, and that just set the tone for a pretty uproarious 45 minutes. I didn't quite realise until um, probably this morning how relatively early in the half Anthony's goal came. I think it was the 72nd or 73rd minute. 
But United handled the situation when they had to protect their lead for 20-odd minutes very well. There was just that opportunity for Lewandowski right at the death and he didn't really quite connect with it. I'm not... I'm not necessarily sure it would have been going on target, but it was still it was still immense defending from Varane. And uh, in hindsight, I think I should have given him probably a nine out of ten last night. He's sometimes you take his brilliance for granted, and he was he was exceptional. Uh, there, there were a lot of very very good individual performances. Fred was terrific. Casemiro was was excellent. Uh, obviously, Anthony came on and got the winning goal, but I thought his attacking play before that was was really good. He he seems to have become a little bit quicker as well as well in in the last month when he's played. He he's he's operating at greater speed. I think since that Arsenal game where he was running down cul de sacs or he was he was receiving the ball too deep, there has been there has been a shift there. He's he's receiving the ball in better areas. Uh, I'll go back to that uh, that example Arteta gave about wingers when they get the ball so that they can take it in one motion they're facing goal which is something that Bukayo Saka obviously does magnificently and Anthony is doing that more and he was getting in the right areas last night he's got a very good partnership with Aaron Wambasaka as well a very unlikely partnership and he took his goal very very well it was a very um, you know he, he just caressed the ball in and of course there was, there was pandemonium when that goal uh, went in there were some supporters who were getting into a, a bit of a um, quarrel with with the Barcelona analysts and one of the Barcelona analysts was was given a fair bit back so you can, and that was at 1-1 so you can imagine what it was like when it goes 2-1 and unsurprisingly those analysts uh, like the city analysts last month they they vacated their seats before full time they wanted to get out of there irrespective of of what m- may have happened before the final whistle uh, I can't quite remember if they went before Lewandowski's opportunity but it it was a uh, it was another terrific night for United and you can tell right the right the death uh, sorry, not at the death, after the full-time whistle, the the celebratory scenes, they, they were reminiscent of the derby last month. Rafael Varane's done that cheerleading a couple of times now. Uh, both occasions, United have been 1-0 down. They've come back to win 2-1 against Manchester City, against Barcelona. The the way things are going, uh, it's it's difficult to see what could stop United. So it would be especially galling if they somehow end this season trophyless because they're still competing on four fronts. And they've seen Barcelona off in the Europa League. So as far as as, as that goes, where they've got Real Betis in the last sixteen, you know, it's it, as as the chant goes, it really is a case of bring on Spaniards by the score. <laughs> it's very very winnable that competition now, isn't it? Um, you you're hundred percent right. There was a lot of merit in starting uh, Sancho in that number ten possession after you know his his good uh, display against Leicester at the weekend, but it wasn't working, was it? If we're honest and. Tenag had the initiative, obviously, to change that at half-time, bring Anthony on, take Weghorst on. I think that's been the theme of the season, Samuel, that Tenag has been so impressive with his in-game management, and it strikes me as one of his, his, his strongest assets. How would you rank his in, in-game management with managers of of gone, like Mourinho, Van Gaal, David Moyes? Where would you rank him in the post-Ferguson era? Oh, he's the best at it. Uh, I think w- watching United in recent weeks and how they've 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 gone to Camp Nou. They've played on the front foot. They're not a co- they're not making allowances just because they're playing Barcelona. They're not they're not compromising their identity. I, I think it's pretty much confirmed that Ten Hag is a world class coach. You can completely see why Guardiola said last year he'd have been a worthy successor to him at City. Yeah. 
uh, he, he'd have fit in perfectly at City and he, he spoke very effusively about Barcelona last week and somewhere along the line it would not be a surprise if he ends up coaching Barcelona given that, that club's affinity with, with Ajax and uh, certain Dutch players and coaches who've represented them over the decades dating back to you know the pioneering impact that Johan Cruyff had there but however way however he operates he seems to get a response from the players whether it's dropping Rashford against Wolves and sending him on and he goes and gets the the winning goal he everyone everyone has bought into his methods there they know that they can't ride roughshod over this manager they know that he's not a soft touch um it's not like I mean, sometimes I think people say, "Oh, he, he will always make a substitution on the hour mark." He's he's disproved that claim in recent matches with with the halftime changes. It'd be fascinating to actually see how many halftime changes he has made this season that have had you know, that, that have had a direct impact to United obtaining points or or getting a winning games. And the the point about Fernandez, I, I looked at. I think Fernandez has played seven games. He started seven games for United on the right this season. In the first against Sociedad, I think it was um, it was his flick on to Ronaldo. Ronaldo plays it on to Garnacho. Garnacho scores. Villa in the cup. I think there was a goal and an assist. Bournemouth, I think he got an assist. City, he got a goal. Last week against uh, Leicester, he got two assists. Last week against Barcelona, he created, what, two, two very good chances. And last night, after a poor first half from him, he moves centrally and he gets another assist. Uh, he's not playing all of those games on the right wing. Um, sorry, he's not staying on the right wing for all of those games. But he's having impacts on them still. Another player would be played out of position. They'd think, why is the manager doing that? Why am I having to move to the uh, fringes to accommodate Donny van der Beek or, uh, or, or Jaden Sancho, who's a winger? But with this United squad, if a player plays slightly out of position they're still likely to perform because because of the manager because of the belief uh, that is that is coursing around that squad at the moment and it we're in terms of like the mistakes Ten Hag's made this season you could probably count them on one hand and the majority of them were made in August whether it was playing Christian Eriksen up front against Brighton or Eriksen and Fred as the midfielders against uh, against Brentford and a little further down, along down the line, October, not playing Casemiro against Manchester City, not not integrating Casemiro into the team quickly enough. And we've said before that Ten Hag in those first months, it did feel like he was learning on the job a little bit, which is a strange thing to say for a 50-something manager who's coached at Ajax and uh, was a coach at Bayern Munich uh, a decade ago as well. But it's you know, when when you're as manager of Manchester United, the the level of expectation and the situation they were in at the start of the season, he was having to learn things on on the go. I think he's learned everything now, and it's very much his team. They play in his image. Uh, he's he's got players there who he you know his signings. There's there's no denying that. And even with someone like Valt Veghorst, who's got an absolutely dreadful record of one goal in eleven starts. They're, the ends still, by and large, justify the means, and when they don't, he's hooked at half time. Anthony comes on another one of Ten Hag's signings, and he scores the winning goal. So he's he's a world class coach, as far as I'm concerned. I know it may sound a little bit premature, and of course, if they don't win a trophy this season, if they somehow don't finish in the top four, 
then it is going to be extremely disappointing to say the least. But the way United are going at the moment, uh, last night, I, I know a lot of United fans won't care for the comparison, but I thought look, the, the, the atmosphere, the, the, the manner of the victory, the connection between the players and the supporters, it, it was reminiscent of Liverpool under Klopp at their, it, in their pomp. And Klopp's obviously still at Liverpool, but United have been striving to get to that level for five years, that level of harmony between the supporters and the players, of having an identity, of playing intense football, of just just having belief back at the club. And look, you look at Liverpool's run under Klopp; they've they they won four major honours, and that you know that that's what you have to strive for in football. I know it's Liverpool, and obviously a lot of Manchester United fans don't want to be likened to Liverpool, but if you're aiming to you know try and try and reach the level that Liverpool have been at in recent years that's 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 got to be the way you go about it it was said in the press conference today wasn't it that Peter Schmeichel uh, said it was Ferguson-esque the performance and I thought you were going to keep company with Schmeichel there Samuel which as we've saw over the last few oh, years, I don't want that. Might not be the best thing. That's what I mean no. with his comments. Yeah, a man I mean, who uses old... a man who uses we when he's talking in the media, which is always a no-no, and and especially if you're a, a player who, well, he infamously cartwheeled celebrating a Manchester City goal against United. So he's 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 desperately uh, he's incessant in trying to curry favour with Man United Man United yeah. fans, but a lot of them still yeah. have long memories. It can be cringeworthy sometimes, and obviously Ten Hag can kind of do nothing wrong at the moment, Samuel. But could he fix our five-a-side team? Is that beyond him? Uh, I, th- I think as far as, the M- as, as far as the MEN uh, <laughs> five-a-side five weeks go, I think that that may be beyond him. But if if, if he was there <laughs> at uh, the the Etihad campus, I think I think there, there would be quite the the crowd that would flock along. So I, I don't think he'd be lacking players or takers. MEN five-a-side, the ultimate acid test. That's it for part one. We'll be back in a moment. So Samuel, we'll talk about some individual performances now. Um, focusing on them, we'll have to start with the boys from Brazil, Fred and Anthony, who we've just touched upon there in the first section. But Fred, he's a bit of a crazy player, isn't he? He's so inconsistent sometimes. You can have brilliant moments and then moments of you know madness in the same game. We saw that at Barcelona in the first leg. But last night, Samuel, he was superb, wasn't he? He was everywhere. He was involved with everything. He scored the equaliser. And for me, it was one of the best performances in a, a red shirt for him. Would you agree with that? I, I agree. I, I, I wrote that uh, in my preview for the, the League Cup final that it's it's certainly up there, probably top five. I thought he was tremendous. It's maybe not his best performance of the season even. I thought he was terrific against Tottenham back in October. But he, even in the first half, he was bustling. He, his, his energy, you can't... Uh, you can't underestimate. He, he's he's very rarely been injured during his time at United, and so he's been involved and, or oh, sorry, been available for the majority of games uh, since he joined them nearly nearly five years ago now. And he was always going to start last night. There, there was some wondering, well, would it be Sabitza because Sabitza did quite well against Leicester, but the giveaway was that Fred came off after United went two 0 up against Leicester, and some might have rather justifiably thought well he was he was dreadful in that game he, he he did not play well and that that's the the strange thing about him sometimes like last week his two performances against Leicester and Barcelona were patchy to put it politely yet he still came away from those matches having laid on goals for for Marcus Rashford with with assists that are worthy of of praise uh, it's not like he just passed the ball to someone from 
50 yards from goal and they go an amazing run and score an amazing goal they were they were worthy um assists they, they were good proactive passes and when you've got Casemiro there who can hold the fort and Fred's Fred is better in an advanced uh position last week sorry not last week last season confirmed that under Ralph Rangnick then you've got someone higher up the pitch to press uh Fernandez is very good at pressing Ten Hag has been playing uh, Veghorst every week, uh, or twice a week, not just because Anthony Marshall's out injured, but because Veghorst um, is is a very active presser. So then you've got three uh, pretty, uh, you know, relentless pressers in the team. And this is a team that last season, the concept of pressing, they just could not crack it. They were, wasn't even the case of been able to crack it. They they seemed almost incapable of it. They were they were dreadful at it. It was but it and was that bad. It, it was. It really was. Nobody can can deny that. Everybody saw it yeah. with their own eyes. They they were probably literally incapable of doing it, or they just didn't have the personalities that were that were prepared to do it. With maybe the odd exception, and again, in Fernandez's case or Fred's case, they they were lone wolves most of the time. And I mean, the the, the man, when, when these goal went in, I thought there's no way he's he's cleanly connected with that. I think the way the ball <laughs> went in was a giveaway. But he's got into that area. That's that's the role Ten Hag wants him uh, to fulfil. It's okay. You're you're starting off in a deep position, but you've got the license to get forward because that's where you can be, um, where we can maximise you the most. Whether it's on the ball or off the ball, probably more so off the ball. But he's still got that sense of adventure to get forward. I think it was Fred who just missed out on Fernandez's cross inside twenty odd seconds last week in in camp now as well. So. As I said, with Casemiro, it's in some ways they've got quite a complete partnership there in midfield. I'm not saying it's the best midfield partnership in the world because it isn't, but Casemiro is probably the best defensive midfielder in the world, and he also happens to be one of the best passers of the ball around. I mean, his pass Fernandez in the third minute last night was tremendous. It, it, it deserved a goal, and it was just a pity for him that Fernandez narrowed the angle for himself. And then you've got Fred who compliments uh Casemiro very well in that he can he can be let off the leash, he can get forward. Uh he's not exactly renowned for his finishing and a lot of his yeah, not a lot of, but some of his goals for United they've been quite scrappy or they've been a deflection. But he has become a pretty decent and handy goal scoring threat this season. I think he he scored against Tottenham and there have been a couple of goals he must have about five goals this season, I would think Fred has. So if you if you contributing with that number uh from from quite a deep position in in midfield i think that's pretty good going and look that there have been times of late where because of the ericsson injury and and fred that has obviously ensured that fred has been a certain starter for united he has been overexposed and he has been overplayed because he isn't a player who should with his skill set should be playing as regularly as he has been of late but you know you're going to get complete commitment with him. He's very rarely injured. Uh, every manager who speaks of him speaks very highly of him as well. And look, as far as this month has gone, I think he's he's probably been involved in, if not started every game, but he certainly starts the majority. And if you're going to save your best performance for Barcelona at home in, in a return leg of a, of a knockout stage, then I think everybody's bound to go home happy. And we should take this opportunity to blow our own trumpet, Samuel, because we just don't do that enough. 
I checked the comments, uh, I rarely do this, but the top comment on our panel uh, for the teams that we submitted for the Barcelona game, all, all were questioning why me, you and Rich had picked Fred. Um, but it was a masterstroke, wasn't it? Because we know more about football, uh, don't we, Stephen? Of course we do, Samuel, of course. <laughs> that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> well, I'll put away the trumpet and we'll talk about Anthony um, because I will eat some humble pie with Anthony, Samuel. An indifferent first few months, I'd say. Look, he, he scored a few goals yep. when he first arrived. A, a big transfer fee was invested. Um, that was his sixth goal of the season last night. And I kind of get a bit frustrated when he's cutting in and it's becoming a bit too predictable. But he delivered on a big stage and a big moment and he deserves a lot of credit for that. He he does. And I think he's got seven goals now this season, which is I think it's maybe... Is it if I counted correctly. Oh, sorry. Set, if I can no, count. it is. It is six. He, he, yeah. he got one for, for for Ajax. So seven overall for him this season, but six for United, uh, which is is reasonable going. It's I'd still say it's quite modest. Seven, even though it's one more, it, it does sound like quite quite a lot better. But <laughs> that's just because of Ronaldo's it, it, shirt number. Yeah, yeah. In, in eight in your head, you hear the numbers. Exactly. Like yeah, you go from from a six to a seven. <laughs> then it is quite a quite a level up. Uh, but I, I go back to that Arsenal game. I thought he was very poor in those two games against Palace and Arsenal. And also, they were very important games for United. They'd just beaten City and there was this title chat that was going on. And I always felt that they needed to take probably four points from those games to be considered proper challenges, serious challenges, and they didn't. And his contributions in both those games was, was, was poor. Uh, he didn't get going. And when you're coming up against Arsenal... Your opposite and your opposite number um, or, or, or player is, is is Saka, and you play the way you and Anthony played the way he did, and Saka played the way he did. That was a point where we could say, okay, he's got to be criticised. We we weren't really laying into him in a constructive way because United were winning, so it didn't really feel particularly topical. But when United had two poor results and Anthony played ball in both those games, the criticism was justified. And again, we have to. Uh, blow our own trumpet because we, we're the ones <laughs> who ask questions about Ten Hag about this player why isn't he doing so well Ten Hag gives a very constructive analysis that's also quite critical and then the player goes and uh, performs quite well which is what Anthony did away at Forest I think it was the next game after Arsenal and his performances since then by and large have been uh, quite good I know he's he's been out for what was it I think that was his first game in three weeks. It might yeah. have been um, against Barcelona because of, I think I think Ten Hag rather vaguely described it as a leg injury. So I'm not too sure what the specific issue was, but the the key thing I thought when when the teams dropped last night, both both teams were as predicted, but Barcelona only brought twenty players over, and two of their substitutes were goalkeepers. You looked at their substitutes list and you thought apart from Ansu Fati and Ferran Torres who they're, they're, there's mitigation with both of them Fati's not really been the player he was since his injury Ferran Torres kind, kind of flatters to deceive really he's, he's not a starter at Barcelona Barcelona didn't have great depth on their bench United had quite a deep bench last night they had an entirely different back four they had experienced midfielders in McTominay and Sabitza and they also had two game changes in Garnaccio and Anthony. Normally, United have just been... If, you, if you're talking about game changes on the United's bench, it's only ever Garnacho or Sancho, depending on who's starting the game. Um, the difference last night, as I said, was that they had two of them. Both of them came on, and Anthony did very well. Garnacho did pretty well as well. And 
that was the difference and that's why it'll be interesting to see what Ten Hag does with the attack looking ahead to Sunday where I think they've still it's still only nine substitutes so he has to be quite um, quite ruthless there are going to be a few players disappointed who won't be making that squad it's, it's a pity I, I've, I've been in the opinion for quite some time that um, match day squads might as well just be what they are for World Cups and European Championships just have 23 players available that's the case in Champions League games this uh, season and it has been for a number of seasons now I think dating back to the 2019 final but Ten Hag is going to have to be quite choosy with uh, with his substitutes but as far as the attackers go in particular at the risk of you know getting to dwelling on or getting onto the final earlier than intended it'll be interesting to see what he does there because I think Anthony has to start on the strength of last night and then it's a case of do you want two wingers on the bench against a team who are quite methodical who are very difficult to break down or do you go with one of the one of them also from the start which I think a lot of United fans would be happy to do but if you're a manager if you're playing the percentages if you have to plan for every possible scenario you're probably likely to stick by Veghorst, even though he's not much of a goal-scoring threat. And Ten Hag has been making those calls. Um, he's, he's not getting many of those calls wrong at the moment. And we can't talk about the boys from Brazil about talk about Casemiro a bit more because another fantastic performance. We talk about these kind of experienced players in big games, and you've talked about Varane, but his experience along with uh, Casemiro's talent really and it helps the team so much, especially on these big nights. But he had those two blocks before half-time, didn't he, when Barcelona were leaving 1-0, and yeah. they were fantastic. And I don't know, you've been as surprised as me, Samuel, about his passing, because I watched him regularly at Real Madrid, as most people did in the Champions League, and I knew he was world-class. But his passing this season has just been just unbelievable, really. His, his ability to pick a long-distance pass or to unlock a defence, I didn't know he had that in his locker, to be honest with you. If you want to sum up Casemiro in two seconds, it's that clip from the third minute last night where he's actually, his first pass is, is poor, it's intercepted, but then he wins the ball immediately and without taking a touch, he pings the pass perfectly into Fernandez's pass, path. sorry, And that's him all over. He's, he's the best defensive midfielder in the world and by his standards as well, he's probably one of the best attacking midfielders in the world with his, with his passing range. He, he is almost on a par with Tony Cruz or Luka Modric but because he was surrounded by those two world-class players for so many years at Real Madrid he, he probably didn't have to showcase it that much at United it's it's a little bit different they they could they could have always done with um you know some someone with that skill set and the United midfield this season compared with recent years has has been transformed not just by Casemiro but but Christian Eriksen as well who was having a very very good season up until his injury and they've they've got good options there still at the moment I mean Sabitz has been decent McTomney's cameos last week uh, over the last week I should say have have been quite quite encouraging given that he's been out injured and and Fred obviously he he can blow hot and cold at times but he is still capable of some truly sensational performances, but but Casemiro is undeniably world class. And for United, it's reassuring that they signed someone from one of Europe's elite clubs on a very very high salary, in very questionable circumstances. Questionable from the outside anyway, because United did manage to keep it keep a lid on it for a long long time. But let's face it, Casemiro was not the preferred target. That was Frankie De Jong. 
but I think most United supporters at the time felt that Casemiro was the profile of midfielder they needed more than the type of player mid uh, of, of the type of player or, or midfielder that De Jong is as, as brilliant as De Jong was last night and as brilliant a, De, a player as De Jong is they needed an absolute defensive midfield specialist that the Brentford game proved that and Ten Hag knew it after that as well and again Ten Hag's hit rate in the transfer as as far as recruitment goes it's it's been very very good so far um in terms of the permanent signings, there's there's very little to grumble about if you're a Manchester United supporter. And Casemiro has been he's, he's been one of the players of the season in in the Premier League. Full stop. Never mind just for United. If De Jong had been signed after that Brentford game, he wouldn't have had the same impact. It's just simple as that. The midfield would have been overrun with it and continued to get overwhelmed in games. The impact he's made, the difference mm, he's made, yeah. the physicality and the presence has been fantastic. But the big question, Samuel, has he been signing of the season? Because I think at around Christmas time halfway through the season me, you and Tyrone sat down and we did a little school reports didn't we and we discussed who had been the, the, the signing of the season and I, I think we were a bit humming and hawing between Lissandra Martinez and Casemiro so would you lean towards one or the other now? I'd personally go for Casemiro I, I'd, I'd go for Casemiro now I, I would go it kind of doesn't make some sense in that I'd say he's, Casemiro is probably more of a front runner for for player of the year as far as United go, but I'd say Martinez is is more their signing of the season. In that there was there was so much more scrutiny on Martinez that the fee was quite hefty fifty five point three million pounds I think it was yeah, was the overall fee. He'd come from Ajax. Uh, Casemiro had the pedigree, he had the clout. He was a Brazil international, still is a Brazil international. Although Martinez won the Copa America with Argentina, as you saw at the World Cup, he's he's still not a regular for them. Um, and where where he was a player who'd played under Ten Hag, look, I think we were all quite open about it at the time. You did wonder, well, is this is this the way to go about recruitment? Should you just be signing players who you've worked with, who you're familiar with? But and and also there was the whole thing about the height and his height did matter at Brentford because you know he got done at a corner and and he was caught in no man's land and he was. Uh, hooked at half time that day but since then his height has barely barely mattered he has been terrific and he's he's well on the way to being a world class centre back uh, I think you have with players you have to give them a bit more time to really to, to really assign them that, that status I think he's still got to probably get through the whole season but the way he's going about it he's, he's he'll soon be worthy of that status uh, he he wins duels. He's brilliant with his use of the ball. You talk about game changers. Uh, Martinez coming on at Ellen Road the other week was was a game changer. It opened up things for United. Uh, they had a more confident uh, centre back on the ball who can break the lines with his passing, and and he does it at will. And Ajax Ajax released their scouting reports on Martinez uh, after he left the club, just to give supporters you know some insight into how they uh they go about uh that that strategy and they were raving about his passing and his passing is terrific and again like Casemiro he's another defensive minded player who is a huge huge asset in attack uh I, I go back to the the Sancho goal against Liverpool in August United were very very patient in that build-up and one of the key passes is Martinez's which goes from the middle third to to the final third and then the play, the play just quickens and it keeps going forward and going forward and they get the goal. And 
he's not really looked back since that barge on on Mohamed Salah in the first minute that night. He he's been consistently excellent since then. So I think for the scrutiny that was on him and the justifiable scrutiny as well, uh, I don't think anybody was really saying, oh yeah, Lissandro Martinez is going to be a, a definite success for Manchester United. Uh, he, he would be my signing of the season so far. Uh, it, it's, it would be very, very odd if Martinez and Casemiro weren't in the Premier League team of the season the way they're, they're going at the moment. Do you think you could be a salesman, Samuel? Do you think if you were a journalist, you could be a salesman? Because you've just made a compelling no. case. You've sold, no. you've sold the idea. I don't think so. No, I, <laughs> I, I'm, too, I'm too bad with numbers. So uh, I think if, if I was to be a director of football, I'd only go so far. <laughs> well, a compelling case for Martinez nonetheless. Uh, we'll wrap that up then for part two. We'll be back in a moment with a look ahead to the weekend. Because, of course, we've got a big cup final at Wembley against Newcastle. Now, Samuel, there's a big game at the weekend, as I've just said. You're making the trip down to the capital, down to London, where Manchester United will take on Newcastle in the League Cup or the Carabao Cup. So for sponsorship reasons, I'll get that name in after last week's podcast. Um, And it's going to be a great game, isn't it? We've just had Barcelona. This squad are riding high on confidence and they must be incredibly, incredibly confident and hopeful of, of picking up that trophy on Sunday, which more importantly, would end the club's worst trophy trophy drought for over 40 years. Well, they have to be confident of it, certainly. I mean, Newcastle have got the advantage of freshness. I think since that they played against Bournemouth, United have played four games. Newcastle have only played one, which was against Liverpool last week. And given the circumstances with Nick Pope's red card, it got to a point where Eddie Howe was was resting players. Uh, I think Joe Linton was a yellow card away from from suspension, so he came off and uh, they played within themselves because the game was was pretty much lost. Even though they had a pretty good opportunity at the end to make it quite nervy for Liverpool, um, I think it was Callum Wilson's chance, wasn't it? But Newcastle are having a really good season. You look at their back four. I think Trippier started every league game. Dan Burner started all but one of their league games. Shah, I think, has started all but one of their league games as well. Excellent. Botman has started 20 of the 23 league games. They've had a clear and obvious back four, back five, even with the keeper. So the loss of Pope is is huge, and he's been the best goalkeeper in the Premier League this season. And also, you you talk about beyond uh, just the, the the goalkeeping. He's, his game management is crucial for Newcastle, as, as Ten Hag um, alluded to today. It's, he's not the only one who's been annoyed by that. And they've got a lot going for them up front as well. Uh, when you when you actually look at Newcastle's team, you, you think, well, actually, I can see why they are uh, competing for the Champions League this season. A lot of clubs miss the boat with Eddie Howe. I, I have no idea why Everton didn't turn to him. Well, I, I do, because they're, they're, I mean, they're badly run. They're, they've got fired. Mashiri, who's just... Uh, until Sean Dyche, he was always about getting uh, some kind of uh, starry named manager in, and it, it was never going to work really with just about every manager that he plumped for. Uh, but but Eddie Howe was well worthy of the Newcastle job. He'd have been worthy of the the Everton job as well on the umpteen opportunities they they had to appoint him while he was at Bournemouth, and during that period he was out of work um, after leaving Bournemouth. I think he didn't have a job for eighteen months, which you know he was he's was, he was been talked about as coming Celtic manager and I thought that's he should be affronted by that really he's, he's very very clearly a Premier League quality manager and he should be managing in the Premier League so I, I 
you, you say it's going to be a good game. I'm not so sure about that. I think Newcastle, they're a very methodical team. They've got a brilliant defensive record. They're very, very difficult to break down. I know Loris Carriers is going to be in goal, but this is a this is a shot of redemption for him, uh, for his career. It's a position nobody thought he would be in, uh, having to come into this game as, as the fourth choice Newcastle goalkeeper, but starting a cup final. But... Uh, there was, in the end, it seems there was method in Eric Tenard's decision to start Martin Dubravka in a couple of games during his uh, very, very strange loan spell at United. So United will be favourites for this, but Newcastle have got the advantage of, of freshness and um, I think finals, as, as Jose Mourinho actually said, uh, finals are to be won, they're not to be played. And I think a lot of Newcastle fans would... Um, would endorse that slogan ahead of Sunday's game. I was probably putting my salesman hat on saying it would be a good game because it, it probably will, <laughs> to be fair, be a tight, cagey affair. And Eddie Howe, when he was out of work, spent time with uh, a few other clubs around Europe, shadowing some managers. And he, he went around with Diego Simeone, Samuel Atletico Madrid. And I think we can see that this season when we talk about his <laughs> in-game management can. because let's, let's, be, let's be fair, you know, it's a bit cheeky, should we say. Um, we saw that at Liverpool early in the season when Newcastle got beat at Anfield and we, we saw it all, all the way through the campaign. And that's a big reason why they're fifth in the Premier League and why they've had the success they've had. We were both at the press conference today and it was discussed with Ten Hag and Ten Hag basically said Newcastle are an annoying team and they want to annoy you. Could you expand on what else Ten Hag said uh, at the press conference today, Samuel, about Newcastle? Because I found it quite interesting, his comments. Well, we were both fair today and it, he... Whenever you're coming up against a team, there's an innocuous question about what do you make of so-and-so. And, of course, it's what do you make of Newcastle. And he, he started very com- with a, a very complimentary tone about how they have a clear style. And then he said, uh, they're annoying. And and Simon Stone asked the question, and he said, they're annoying, like with with a question mark at the end. And he said, yeah, they, they tried to annoy you. And I was surprised it wasn't picked up on sooner. So, fortunately, when it came around to me, and I was this was one of those days where we feel a little bit tired and where things are going so well and there aren't too many angles. I was wondering what, what, what can I actually ask him? I was thinking like the difficulty of informing players they're not in a cup final squad or what have you. Thankfully, he said that Newcastle annoying. So I just said, when you, when you specifically mean annoying, I think we could, we all had an idea what, of what he was referring to, but I specifically said, do you mean time wasting? And he confirmed that. And then he said that they're the worst for ball ball in play in their games in the league which isn't quite true it turns out Leeds are the worst for it <laughs> but Newcastle are second worst Newcastle dirty dirty so, Leeds dirty exactly Leeds. exactly that that was that was exactly what uh, some of us said in the press room upon that revelation uh, which with the cameras turned off I might add uh, but Newcastle are certainly the most infamous for it because they have Nick Pope who is is an abs- he is the world heavyweight champion of time wasting uh he he used to do it for burnley i remember united fans in the stretford end on boxing day in 2017 uh becoming very irate with his time wasting and, and some have long memories so they haven't forgotten about that um you had the liverpool game earlier in the season where he spent two minutes of the five minutes minimum minutes of added time down with an apparent injury Liverpool get a 99th minute winner and Newcastle players as they're going off you've got Scousers sarcastically pointing at their wrists uh, because of the amount of time that Newcastle had wasted and of course Arteta kicked off about it in January uh, I think that day the 
the ball was in play for 43 minutes and 17 seconds. It was clocked out out of the 90, which is an absolute scandal, really, if you're a paying uh, match goer and you want to you, you go to watch a football game and then for the majority of the time, the ball's not in play. But Newcastle are quite brazen about it. As you said, whilst he was out of work, Eddie Howe went to Atletico Madrid. And if you're talking about the world heavy cha- heavyweight champions of in the art of being streetwise, it is Atletico Madrid. United discovered that last season. United were not remotely streetwise and you do need that quality for certain occasions. And of course, Newcastle signed Kieran Trippier 13 months ago. He played under Simeone at Atletico and he is of the personality who can mix it up he's a brilliant right back he can play brilliantly he's probably been the best right back in the Premier League this season uh he's done it at a World Cup he's done it at Europe he's done it at World Cups I should say he's done it at European Championship but he can also mix it up he can he can manage games very well he's got the experience and he's played under the personalities as well not just at Atletico but Rocio Pochettino at Tottenham Tottenham could mix it up at times as well it wasn't just all uh, champagne football with them. They had some, yeah, you know, they, they had some serious players in there who could put themselves about and could look after themselves. So Newcastle have absolutely, you know, they've inherited this identity, which under a under a different manager, under a different circumstances, might be anathema to the supporters because with Newcastle you associate the fans wanting champagne football and being entertained, and that I think they are. They want to get to that level, and I think they eventually will under Howe going off his track record at Bournemouth and some of the signings they've made in Alexander Isaac and Anthony Gordon, and there'll probably be maybe two two or three other flair players who come in in the summer. But for now, it is working for them. They've, they've slipped down the table a little with... I, th- I think they've won one in the last seven in the Premier League. They've only won... They've only lost one as well. But they are happy with this identity of being a very methodical team, difficult to break down. They're unpopular as well, let's face it, uh, since the takeover. Uh, a lot of football fans are willing are willing teams to beat Newcastle. Uh, our friend Dave Hughes of, of an Evertonian persuasion. <laughs> I, I had no idea about this, this, this Everton-Newcastle rivalry that apparently merits its own wikipedia page but i also got another text from a friend who's an evertonian who told me in the week said like how much i want how much he wants to see united batter newcastle so it's universal I don't now think, though isn't it it is yeah it is Since it is because newcastle yeah. and it's before people jump to conclusions there's nothing to do with geopolitics or regions or anything like that it's because newcastle have been taken over and they are becoming successful again and everton who probably see themselves as a bigger club than newcastle they're at the opposite end of the table, so teams are t- followers of teams are always going to envy that. In the national league, there'll be how many people in the, how many followers of the other teams in the national league are glad that Wrexham are doing what they're doing since their takeover in 2020. There won't be any of them. They, they'll all resent yeah. it. They'll all be hoping that Wrexham don't get promoted this season because that's the way football works. If if a team is yeah suddenly successful and flush with money, you are not going to hope that they do well. Obviously, if we look at what else was said in that press conference, Samuel uh, Tenard gave a little update on Rashford and basically said, look, it's too early uh, at the moment to know whether he will be fit and available for the game after sustaining an ankle injury. Um, If he is out of the game, it's going to be a huge blow, isn't it? Just like Newcastle missing Nick Pope, who's been fantastic for them. Rashford's been a goal-scoring machine, 24 goals this season, his best ever career. 
if he is out, Samuel, who do you start on that front three? Is it Weghorst up top, Anthony on the right, and Sancho on the left? I think so. I, I think Veghorst may start, even if Rashford is fit. Regardless, Going yeah. back to the earlier point that if you're playing the percentages, if you want game changes and the importance of game changes as they have been for United in in recent weeks, it is better to have two than one. That's, that's a very obvious statement to make, but Newcastle are going to be very stubborn. Uh, they're, they're an obdurate team. As I said, their defensive record is the best in the Premier League this season, and they've got a clear and obvious back four, back five when it is Pope. So you are going to need quite a few strings to your bow and just turning to Garnacho, I, I don't think Ten Hag will want to leave himself short there. So it's almost as if you, you start off handicapping yourself by playing Veghorst, who's just got an absolutely dreadful record for United. One goal in 11, that's, that's, a, that's a disaster for a striker at any level, any club, never mind uh, someone at Man United. And you cut him some slack because he didn't expect to start 11 games on the spin. Uh, you can't account for Anthony Martial, as I've said before, being made of papier-mâché. Uh, someone said the other day when we were at training, as we were filming him, they, they said, if if we film him long enough, he'll probably have another, probably have another injury. Uh, so it, it looks like he, he came through unscathed due, doing his very gentle ball work uh, during that individual session. But you can't count on Martial. And, and Martial has let United down in that sense. And that's ensured that Veghorst has been overplayed overexposed and he he has struggled for chances as well he's not had many great chances during those 11 games but he did have two great chances last week and i mean you, you saw the the strikes against Leicester and and Barcelona they were very very tame they weren't even good saves by the goalkeeper he hit the goalkeeper so although united might start being impeded up front at least with Veghorst Anthony Fernandez and Rashford they have started some games together there is a form of understanding and if if needed you have got I mean Sancho has had his best games off the bench Garnacho has had his best games off the bench certainly in the in the domestic matches this season so as going back to the point of nine substitutes you would have those two as uh, two of the the three attackers possibly on, on the bench and you you can't leave yourself short uh, you only get one chance to win uh, a final in, in such an occasion so Although, if the team drops and Rashford is fit and Vekors is starting, you'll have some United fans complaining about it. I think Ten Hag has done enough in recent weeks and, and months to to be trusted with the selections that he makes because he has not got a lot wrong. As regular listeners will know, I am actually from Newcastle. You can probably tell by my accident. And, uh, accident. and as Rashford went off last night, I did get a text off my brother who was almost a bit excited to see Rashford go off with a, a little limp, of course. He wouldn't want him to be injured seriously. But it will be a huge blow, wouldn't it, Samuel? And I think there'll be uh, thousands of Geordies looking at the team news um, come half free on Sunday afternoon. Um, if we talk about the wider wider point then, a, a trophy, Samuel, the League Cup, look, let's face it, it's not the best trophy to win. It's the, the FA Cup's little brother almost, and it's never been uh, held in high regard to United fans. However, it, it does represent an opportunity to end that trophy, Joe, as I said earlier in the podcast. In last trophy was 2017 in the Europa League, and it's the longest trophy drought for 40 years. So if this season was supposed to be a transitional season for Tenag, really. It was supposed to be a year for him to, you know, change things and tweak things and, and try to get it right. But he's exceeded expectations. Securing Champions League and winning a trophy, what would that mean? 
that would mean a success. Uh, I, the the way the season has progressed, given that United compete on four fronts, it, it would be a minor disaster if they ended the season trophyless. Now, the way things are going in the top four, they could have that practically boxed off uh, before the the clocks go forward. Uh, the, the, such is their league form, and the results have gone their way in recent weeks as well, with the main competitors dropping a lot of points really, and not only that some of those teams look out of sorts Tottenham don't look right and they are they're they're fourth at the moment um Newcastle have have had a very very creditable season so far and have done very well to stay to stay in the top four for as long as they have but I I think certainly I always sense that there might come a point where they do just start to fall away a little bit and Liverpool are coming to the fore as well uh, as far as their league form goes, anyway, it's it's looking better. Uh, I, I don't think it could, could have got much worse than than the Wolves' performance uh, when when they lost three nil there. So, as as far as the the final goes, it, it's it's good to have a sense of occasion about it. Newcastle have got a fanatical following; they've been success starved. Um, this is a huge, huge occasion for them. It's arguably more meaningful for them, but also because it's United and a trophy drought and a new manager or newish manager, I suppose, who who's only appointed back in April or May time and the belief around the club and how different the club feels to previous seasons. It's you know, you you'd hope that it would be a really good game that um that, that marries with, with those ingredients because we you know, traditionally as a fixture, certainly in the Keegan years and the Bobby Robson years, certainly the, the Bobby Robson to Alex Ferguson years, there were a hell of a lot of goal fests during that time. But it is different now and you can't always just hark hark back to the past, even though I'm sure there'll be reminders of the past left, right and centre at Wembley on, on Sunday on, on both sides. But it's it's a significant moment for United. I think to some of the people at the club, of the two games this week, if they had to choose, they would say that Sunday is the bigger game. Um, I think if, if they'd gone out to Barcelona, there were people at the club who could see the positives from that as far as three midweeks go and the, fi- the fixture list not being as congested in March and April and May and that possibly aiding their, their domestic form. But this is the earliest opportunity, as you say, they've got to end a trophy drought. They've taken advantage and get into the final and they've got that final step to take. And so far, they've got through February very, very impressively as far as their results go. They're, they're unbeaten in February. And this is this is probably the, the biggest test of the lot, even though they've come up against a better team in Barcelona in midweek. It's a final. It's a final against a very good team as well. It's it's the two teams are in the top five of the Premier League so it's not exactly like um, with all due respect to them Swansea and Bradford in, in 2013 uh, it's it's very very different from that so it's it's certainly going to be one that's going to have a lot of eyes on it on Sunday Oh when Sutherland reached the final Samuel of course you've got to throw that in there against Manchester City Oh City in 2014 yeah yeah, yeah yeah they, they went I'm... one yeah I, I covered that game uh, I was at Wembley for that when Fabio Barini scored and then uh, that that well, Sunderland's, yeah, yeah, Thierry, Sunderland's think, day. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunderland's day peaked uh, at half time. Really, <laughs> I mean, you talked about Liverpool and in, in, in Tottenham, obviously around Newcastle. Then I will give United fans some good news. In my personal opinion, I don't think um, Newcastle have been at the best since the World Cup. I think we've talked about the, they've obviously got the attacking talent, but I think it's gone a bit stale. Actually, um, I feel like. You, Newcastle season might have peaked and, and United have obviously got that momentum now so that's good news if you're travelling down there on Sunday afternoon down to London 
And Samuel, obviously you will be, so safe travels to London. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Stephen. And I hope you enjoy your day in London as well. Uh, and, and safe travels to you. Well, I've got my hair cut, as you can see, and I'm, I'm off to get my suit <laughs> measured, as a wise man once said. So, <laughs> so thank you very much to the listeners. Have a great weekend. Take care.